God's word to uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, and um, I believe the, the words are going to be right up on the screen here um, as well. And so we read, um, I'm going to actually uh, actually begin just a little bit a little bit earlier before this, um, uh, or at, yeah, well, we'll start right here. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. What shall I choose? I do not know. I, I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound untold. This is, uh, this is God's word for, for us this, this morning as we continue in this series uh, about a church appointed for suffering and also for glory. And so this morning, as we prepare to go to God's table, we're going to just really focus in on this awesome motto of Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And there's a way of looking at that statement in which we'll address most of the key themes of, of this passage. Because this statement, we can see it as a window into Paul's heart. We can also see it as a torch which ignites Paul's hope. And it's also, for us... It's like a mirror that purifies our motives, purifies our hearts. But it's not just a window, and it's not just a torch, and it's not just a mirror. It is also a marvelous uh, summons for us to exalt Christ in all of our living. So first, let's reflect on that motto as... Um, a window into Paul's heart. When we hear Paul say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, we are getting access into what makes Paul tick, what makes his heart beat fast. We are seeing his treasure. Um, and, and, you know, that motto, has moved many Christians into deeper devotion. You know, I remember it moved me 
I remember um, it happened in my, my Sunday school class. Uh, my Sunday, te- Sunday school teacher, Mr. Bosma, I was about 11 or 12 years old then, and Mr. Bosma uh, talked about this verse as he shared with us the story of this martyr, a person who died for Jesus Christ named Polycarp. And, and, and he, he, he talked about this ancient Christian, Polycarp, uh, from the first century, um, Polycarp of Smyrna. And Mr. Bosma said that... Uh, it, that Polycarp was going to be put to death, but the Roman governor of Asia Minor, he was he didn't want that, and so he he was like, I'm gonna have one last conversation with Polycarp and try to persuade him to just renounce his faith in Jesus. And so uh, the governor says, Polycarp, you're old, you're frail. There's no need for you to die in that fire. Just say Caesar is Lord. Just confess that, and and then you'll be you'll be able to live. Um, and, and 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 what harm can it do to confess Caesar is Lord? And and Polycarp rises to his feet and says to the governor and to everyone present, "86 years I have served Jesus Christ, and he's never done me any harm." How could I be false to him right now? Bring your fight. Do your worst. We're just going to bring it closer to Jesus. And so the fire fell, and in its bright glow, it revealed a polycarp who stayed true to his Lord Jesus to the very end. And when Mr. Bosma shared that, and then shared that so many martyrs had courage to do such things because they had Bible passages in their heart. Passages like this one, Paul's motto, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So I'm going to stay true, even if it means the fight, even if it means death, because death is actually dangerous. And you know, that lesson, I remember that inspired me so much that I went home, and instead of watching the Chicago Cubs that afternoon, I was reading martyr stories in my dad's book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and and it was just really getting into all of that. And and I still find myself drawn to those martyr stories, and and I subscribe to this podcast called Voice of the Martyrs, um, because I don't know about you, but I can sometimes really struggle with courage. I know that's that's an area Jesus is so I believe he's drawn me to these stories because they help me uh, in my life. To, uh, you know, I might not have to pray, uh, give me sufficient courage to stand before the, Ro- the Roman governor of Asia, um, but no, give me sufficient courage to live for you this week, whatever that might mean. Now, one drawback of such stories, however, is that they often paint the situation of suffering that the Christian martyr is presently going through, they paint that as so miserable that you kind of are like, boy, obviously they're going to want to die because that's like an escape from a really wretched life, a a really miserable life. And, And if that's how we're picturing Paul this morning, we are misunderstanding him. If we think, oh, he wants to escape life, 
kind of like Job did. Remember Job in Job chapter 3? He sits on the ash heap, and he's got boils on his body, and he's mourning the loss of his property and of his animals and of his children, and it's, it's horrible what he's going through. And Job groans in Job chapter 3, 20 to 21. He says this, he says, Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul? To those who long for death that does not come, who search for death more than they search for hidden treasure, who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. And so people say, well, Paul has a death wish just like Job has a death wish because he's, he's in prison and it's, that's miserable. No, read carefully. You can see Paul does not search for death as for hidden treasure. No, Christ is his treasure. That's very clear from this whole passage. He, he has a Christ wish, not a death wish. He says right there in verse 22, if I'm go to go on living in the body, and that's a possibility, I'll be happy with that. That's going to mean fruitful labor for me. And so when Paul says, I'm torn by two options, it's not as though he is torn as like a gloomy, tortured soul, weighing two bad options and saying, I'm going to go for death because that's, that's better. No, rather, he is an enthusiastic, happy soul, torn by two really good options. I, I, I compare it to Paul, you know, like a, a basketball-loving teenage boy. Given the choice of going between uh, going to the very best basketball camp in America or going to see the dream team at the Olympics uh, with the possibility of meeting all of his heroes and getting their autographs after the game. Now, the dream team option, of course, is going to attract him more than anything else. But the basketball option, basketball camp option is... And so the phrase, for me to live is Christ, shows us that Paul says, I'm very happy treasuring Christ. In the good that happens in life, and I still find so much good, so much fruitful labor, I'm ready to be here for your progress and joy in the faith. But if I die, if I get executed, that's going to be gain. That's going to be even better. So I'm torn between two really good options. And so, if you're saying, wow, I, I, Paul's still excited about this life. Then we have to look even deeper into his heart and see what he treasures. And that's Christ. Knowing Christ. He explains this later in chapter 3 even more. He says in chapter 3, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And, and so we get the picture of Paul approaches a difficult trouble in life. He sees one coming his way. Maybe he just sees it there in the, in the prison, uh, the, the, the regular troubles of life in a prison chained to a guard. And, and, and he says, okay, there's going to be tough things about this, but the chief business of this trouble is for me to know my Lord Jesus better in it. So that means I'm going to seek to appreciate that the worst sort of suffering, he's already done for me. To save me from the most dreadful suffering, the, the flames of hell. And, and I'm going to seek to know his heart. 
to save sinners from suffering. I'm going to seek to know his gentle, comforting ways for fellow sufferers because he's the only God that suffered too. You know, it's written of Jesus, a bruised reed he does not break. A smoldering wick he does not snuff out. And and, and I'm going to, in this trial, I'm going to rejoice that he's the Lord of this trial. He's the Lord of this circumstance. And he is the chief factor in every circumstance of life. He's in control of it. He will work good through it. And so I want to know how, I want to know that and that and and I also want to know how Christ the, the manner Christ carried himself through all the suffering of his life how he, he suffered so patiently and so graciously and, and so generously and I want to learn by his, the, his powerful spirit to resemble that so that I can show Christ to a hungry world so for me to live as Christ and to die as gain that is a It's also a torch to ignite Paul's hope. Because to die is gain. To to, to die is gain. At the end of every Christian life, no matter how sad your life has been, no matter how hard it's been, and I know it's been hard for so many of us, but no matter how hard it's been, at the end of our story, something amazingly We see the face of Jesus. We get to be with him. That's our hope. In fact, that's what makes heaven so heavenly for Paul. It's the fact that Christ is there. You know, there's the golden streets, yes. The bright angels, yes. The crystal sea, yes. But those things, as good as they are, they're secondary. Seeing Christ Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, looking into those loving eyes, seeing those nail-pierced hands, hands pierced for us, that makes heaven so heavenly. Have we forgotten this as Christians? No, studies show that many modern Christians, they they no longer anticipate heaven anymore. They they no longer have a a sense of, of what that will be like. They they, they don't see heaven as a game. They think think it's going to be boring. Cartoons often play with this theme. You know, uh, you'll see those cartoons. Uh, they picture a Christian coming just inside the pearly gates, and he's looking around, and then he kind of looks at his watch, and he says, I wish I would have brought a magazine. As though it's going to be a long time here, uh, like a trip to the dentist often. Oh, we're, we're missing. We're missing the joys. And if we can't see all the other joys of the, the, the beautiful city, if we can't get into that, we can't imagine that, then Paul is saying, here's the game. You will see Jesus. And if that doesn't make your heart beat fast, then you need to dust off the Christian doctrine of hope and look at it again. And you'll see our Savior. And that's a game. Psalm 16, verse 11 says that we will find joy in the face of Jesus and eternal pleasures at his right hand. 
Yet one look upon his face, says St. Teresa of Avila, one look upon Jesus' face at the very beginning of heaven, you will look upon his face, and she says it's going to heal a lifetime of hurts. Furthermore, the Bible says that when we see him, we will be changed into his glorious likeness. We're going to be made like Jesus once we see him. And the pain of a thousand wounds are just going to be flushed from our system. And the joyous vitality and love of our Lord Jesus will enter our glorified bodies and we will live forever in communion with him. At death, we will gain Christ and enter our rest with him. And so St. Augustine, he exalts over that moment of gaining Christ and he says, we will rest and we will see, we will see and we will know, we will know and we will love, we will love and we will praise and we will praise forevermore. So that's the mission of Mary. It should also be a mirror purifies our own mirrors for us. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's a mirror. It's a statement that we read and look into, but then we find that it's looking into us, and it's saying, what do you live for, Robin? Can, can, can we honestly say, for me to live is Christ? I hope all of us you know, want to say it, but, but it's also good for us to, to take a look and say, is, would my loved ones... If they heard me to say, say uh, for me to live is Christ, would they roll their eyes or maybe scratch their head? Really? Really? I mean, if I were to give my five closest friends this statement, for Rob to live is blank, fill in the blank, what would they say? Maybe they would, you know, say, Maybe they would consider, I hope they'd at least consider for Rob to live as Christ, but but maybe they'd say he's living for people-pleasing or he's living for the job he wants or he's living for, for sports or something. Oh, Lord, purify my motives so that I live for you. And what would your five closest friends say of you? Would they say, she really lives for her reputation. Uh, he really lives for... He, 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 his, his vacation. She really lives for her family. Would they say, oh, Tom, yes, he does love Jesus Christ, but he also lives to be the expert, to be the know-it-all. Would they say, oh, Susie, yes, she, she loves Christ to a degree, but sometimes it seems that she lives for that Instagram, those Instagram posts that she, she, she makes all the time, posting her pics of her, her, her nice things and her perfect house and her designer life, and, 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 and she, she lives for the likes that she gets. There long enough at the phrase for me to live as Christ, and you'll find it staring back at you, questioning you, and and not not to make us feel guilty. We're coming to this table of grace, but the mirror does at least move us into prayer and say, "Change my heart, O oh God. Have mercy on me. I, I I don't live for you as as I should. I I don't treasure you as I, as I should." Forgive me and rearrange all my loves so that so that you alone have top billing and sit on the throne of my heart. At the end of this passage, Paul says, you know, I expect that I'm going to be in heaven with you. 
That's what I think is really going to happen. I think I'm going to be released from the prison because I believe God wants me to go on serving you, Lord, and, and how to serve you for your progress and joy in the faith. I'd love to just look at both of those things deeply, but we don't have that time this morning. But it, it, at least we can have time for your joy in the faith. What he means is this. Is I think he'd say, I want to convince you that Christ is not just a good treasure among a lot of other treasures in your life. No, he is the best treasure above all other treasures this world has to offer. He's the best. So that, so that you and I will say, so long as I have Christ Jesus, I can receive life joyfully. And, and, and I can endure what Shakespeare, what Shakespeare called the thousand natural shocks that humans inherit in this sad life. And, and, and maybe we, we say that with tears in our eyes, to be sure. But, but, but so long as I have Christ, I can hold all those other good things with a lighter grip. We're still holding them. They're still good things. We still may even hold them with tears falling down upon our hands. But we know we have the great treasure. We have the necessary treasure. And so Habakkuk, he says in one passage when he says, you know, though my fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vine, I will rejoice in the Lord my Savior. And maybe we... Today need to say something similar. You know, uh, though my, my, my family is, is broken in significant ways, though my job is full of conflicts, though my bank balance is lower than I hoped, though I lost that loved one, uh, it, it, yes, I still have Christ. And so, in, a, in an important way, my heart is at rest. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller stresses the spiritual practice Rejoice, says Keller, is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and its importance until your heart rests in it and is sweet by it. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until your heart is sweetened and rested and your heart begins then to Anything else but it really tastes it and enjoys it. Let me dwell in your joy, Finally, the truth for me to live as Christ and to die as gain is also a summons to exalt Christ in all our living. So remember, Paul is, is in jail and he faces a trial, and it's possible he will be put to death because of the trial. But he says, I'm not really so concerned about that. He says in verse 20, here's what I'm concerned about. I eagerly expect and hope that I will be in no way, in no way be ashamed at that trial, but will have sufficient courage now as always that Christ will be exalted in my body. When he goes to court, Paul wants to exalt Christ in his body. 
to speak in such a way that Christ here appears big and beautiful and significant to everyone who listens. And, and that's what we can do this week, too. To think, how can I make sure Christ appears significant and big and beautiful? I, I, I remember, um, you know, after that Polycarp lesson, my brother Rick, he's a year younger than me, he was in the same Sunday school class, and I was so pumped up by that lesson. So I, I later that afternoon, I was talking to my brother Rick, and he's like, I, I was like, I, I want to grow up, and, and, and I want to do what Polycarp did, and, and I want to die for my faith, and then I want to go out, and I want to do these other things. I was getting so excited, and she's, he was like, wait, hold up. There's no then after you die, right? You know, um, it, you're going to be dead then. And I was like, okay, well, that's true. I got to work the sequence out a little bit better. Um, and, and he had a point, didn't he? I mean, I really admire those martyrs. I think we need to spend more time with them. But he had a point. And the point is that the devotion, most of the time, that Christ is asking for all of us here in America is not, we, you might face a trial and die sometime in the future. We, we don't face that. But maybe we do face a trial in the future. May some the devotion he's asking from us at this time. And so to live for Christ means we use every part of our body to honor him as the supremely special one. We exalt him with our ears by, 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 by listening to his word and, 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 and honoring that as our top authority and seeking to obey it and, and to trust it. We exalt Christ with our eyes by looking at everybody we meet with, with kindness and respect and not with judgment and scorn. We exalt Christ with our minds and we really think about our life. We really think about our circumstances and say, how can I honor him in, in my money, in my time, in my friendships, in my conversations in the upcoming week? You get the point. To live is Christ means to exalt Christ with every bit of who we are so that he looks big, bright, and beautiful. And now we're going to honor him by coming to his table. We're going to come to his table as needy people. And when Christ is your light, then he's your food. You thirst for the grace that covers all your sins. You hunger for his grace that helps you release your grip on those good things that are you're tempted to idolize, tempted to turn into ultimate things. And you, you begin to say, no, that's not an ultimate thing. It's just a good thing. I can receive He's the good shepherd who's laid down his life for his sheep. And he promises you, I've got a good thing. No one's going to snatch you out of my hand. So let's relax in his strong love and go out to